We at Bellator Christi acknowledge and honor Carmen, who passed away today at the age of 65. Until we meet again, my friend. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello, everyone. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for all of those affected uh, by this weather pattern uh, and the storms that are associated with it um, all over the lower south uh, in those areas. And so right now, um, we just uh, pray that that you can focus on the immediate and uh, focus on your family, friends, your neighbors, and th- and that's uh, and those that need the security. And those are the ones that uh, we need to be able to live and love our neighbors as as they are. Uh, if you noticed, we had the special edition, so go ahead and give it a listen. We 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 had let that out on uh, on Monday. Um, and uh, but this one here, this podcast here, is going to be in its normal slot, and uh, it'll still be part of the Sermon on the Mount series. Well, let's go ahead and welcome on Brian Chilton. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Hope you're doing well. And the sub-zero temperatures you guys have up in Montana—that was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was just dumb. Yeah, you sent me a text uh, yeah. of the uh, temperatures, and uh, and we it was cold here in North Carolina, but it was like uh, 30-something, and I showed a friend of mine uh, the text you sent of, I said, I said, hey, check out my friend in, up in Montana, here's the temperature up there, it was like negative 10, and he's like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's normal, um, you know. Dead, you know, time winter time. That's that's usually some normal temperatures we'll see on a regular basis. Minus ten, minus fifteen, minus twenty. Um, but that one there, um, we were we were minus ten, but we were expecting some pretty serious winds, and uh, it dropped it down to uh, minus forty with the wind chill, um, and uh, potentially even colder, and what was really bad about that is uh um when when that wind when that wind hit so the so the water troughs and all that kind of stuff around the ranch were all still warm from the days before that weren't weren't that cold but when that when that hit man everything froze solid so wow. it was just a mess <laughs> Curtis got to mention something. We mentioned at the outset of the podcast that we had uh, a person pass away today by the name of Carmen. Well, I want to play a clip that introduces another person who passed away.
if you recognize the theme song, it's Rush Limbaugh from the Rush Limbaugh Show. Uh, he came on talk radio stations. And so uh, he died today at the age of 70. Uh, my understanding was, I believe it was cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it was lung cancer, yep. So uh, conservative talk show host, um, he had, uh, you know, obviously controversial, you know, but, uh, but one thing you can say about him is that he loved, loved his nation. And so uh, our condolences and our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the Limbaugh family. I know um, his wife was on radio today and um, was talking about how much he you know, really loved his listeners. And I know he loved his listeners, uh, but not as much as we do here at Bellator Christy, our listeners. But <laughs> that's a joke. But, but nonetheless, we do want to uh, think, and, think about and pray for the family we know that are going through a difficult time. So I uh, just had we, – we paid uh, – Honor homage to uh, Carmen at the outset of the show, and uh, kind of thought we needed to do that as well. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Rush was a Christian. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things you know he did say that I wish he kind of would would have uh, promoted more of his Christian Christian beliefs, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Of course, I'm a theologian. You know, I'm a pastor, so of course I'm going to say that. But. <laughs> But anyhow, we do yeah. want to pray for uh, the Limbaugh family today as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Carmen had some had some different music back then, man. In the early '90s and uh, in the '80s, that was some some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and his style of music wasn't for everyone because because my wife she had never heard of him, believe it or not. Uh, but you know, I, I remember uh, songs like "The Champion" and and uh, well, there's a courtroom song. It seems like, and then "The uh, Champion of Love" I think was another one. Anyhow, I played I played one of the songs for because it is kind of a is a theatrical type of song. He doesn't necessarily yeah. sing, but he's, he's read, you know he kind of reads the the play or the script of the and it's a real theatrical to to really bring forth the gospel. And so she kind of looked right. at me, kind of like, huh. <laughs> Yeah. I thought it was cool, but you know, she kind of like, yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I remember youth group uh, in the early uh, early nineties, late eighties. Um, we got to hear him, and man, it just good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> so we're uh, on to our Sermon on the Mount series. This would be number three podcast of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be going through some uh, some pretty pretty tough stuff this yeah. uh, this go round. Um, and this is something that um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is is definitely uh, you know something that tests our um, our Christianity or our ability to <laughs> to recognize our own faults and our own things that we have going on. But Brian, you want to go ahead and and uh, read Matthew five. Uh, thirty-three through thirty-seven. Sure. But in the process, in the process, I I really want to challenge our listeners to follow along with Scripture, and and highlight these things in your Bible. Now I know some people are going to freak out and say I don't I don't highlight or scribble in my Bible. Well, use a pencil then because it's erasable. But yeah. but really use these to go back and just read through them again, ponder them, and let them soak in and let them really kind of. Um, let let God use these to uh, change the way we think about things. Oh man, Curtis, you, there's so much I want to say to that because you're absolutely right. And but <laughs> but I better I better 
stay on track because I. Well, I'm that's because that's because you're that's because you're a pastor and you want everybody to draw in their Bible. Yeah, and I'm not talking about smiley faces and you know and you know drawing snickerdoodles or anything like that. You know, you know, anyhow, let me move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, verse 34, I do, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by the earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Now, he's not talking about dyes. He's talking about naturally. Uh, but let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Hmm. Yeah, so why does, what does Jesus mean by, uh, by taking oaths? So oaths were promises uh, that were made. Uh, they were considered binding so in other words, if you say that you're going to swear, you're going to do something, there is a binding effort uh, being made that you, you absolutely promise that you're going to do something. And you're swearing by some entity. If you say, well, by Jerusalem, uh, I'm going to do this. You, you're, you're swearing that if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, then something's going to happen to Jerusalem. Or if you swear by God, then you're saying, if I don't do this, then something's going to happen to God. So there's a negative aspect to taking oaths, saying that, uh, like if you say, I swear on my my mother's or, or on my, my loved one's grave. Well, what does that mean, really? Uh, you know, What's going to happen uh, if, if you break that promise? What does it mean? So they were considering bind, considered binding, and since Jews avoided the use of God's personal name, uh, and instead, and I'm reading a quote here from the CSB Study Bible, instead use reverential substitu substitutions, uh, clever liars could take an oath that seemed to appeal to God without technically doing it. Um, and there's a lot we could talk about there. So, But in other words, they, they refused to use the personal name Yahweh. And instead, they used, instead of his personal name, they used the word Adonai in the scripture, which means mm -hmm. Lord, or they might use Elohim. Uh, now you say, well, how can we determine where the personal name of God is used in the Old Testament? Well, go back and see where the all-capped names are. If you see an all-capped Lord, that's that uh, that's Yahweh. If you see an all-capped uh, God, that's that's Yahweh. But you know, and that's one of the things I had a problem with the HCSB. I love about the CSB, but one of the problems I had about the HCSB is that. The, the the personal name of God was so holy in ancient times that it was it was said to be so sacred that we shouldn't even use it. Um, and so I, I was kind of wondering, you know, and this is just my, my opinion, but I kind of wondered if maybe using that personal name of God, maybe it was kind of a little bit, uh, not, not really sacrilegious, but maybe it didn't show the honor that, that the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, placed on the Old Testament whenever they used these substitutionary names. Anyhow, that's just, I'm kind of a traditionalist in that regard. But, uh, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, when, when you swear an oath, you're basically making a vow that you're going to do something. But if you didn't, whatever you made the vow against, something would happen to that entity, whatever it may be. So, why is oath-taking bad, and what are the dangers uh, underlying the, the practice of it? 
Well, oath-taking is bad because it assumes the authority that we don't have. Uh, we can't swear by God because we don't have the authority of God. And mm-hmm. even in reality, uh, if we think about it, if we like, like for instance, if I promised someone that I would graduate with my Ph.D. in May of 2022, that's the in all probability it will probably happen. But notice I use the word probable. Uh, but it may not. So, for instance, say there's something happens in the dissertation phase, uh, where where it pushes me out a little bit farther than that. Um, you know, may, maybe I'm not able to, to finish to finish it during that time, or maybe God forbid, maybe something happens where I get ill and and can't uh, can't finish it by that time. You know, we 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 can't really make certain promises to be somewhere, do something, because we don't know if we're going to be. We don't know what shape we're going to be in by that time, mm-hmm. especially if we make promises uh, uh, ways off. Um, so that's why he was talking about let your yes be yes, let your no be no, but don't make oaths because you don't have the authority to make oaths. That's what Christ is saying. And by doing so, we are the danger of this is we're assuming the authority that God only has, and we're really practicing a, a, a practice that's very similar and comparable to what the devil does because he wants to assume the role of, of God and he doesn't have it. And so by us assuming and taking oaths um, for things we can't do, we're assuming the same type of authority uh, that God and God alone has. So th- mm-hmm. this teaching, while ethical, is very deeply theologically rooted. Hmm. So, just a kind of a side question. Then, what what about when when uh, when God and Abraham cut covenant in between those two? How does that tie in with with the with an oath? Then, well, that's a great question. Um, here, with a covenant, God is making a promise to Abraham, and he and he cuts mm-hmm. he cuts this. Um, animal in two, and both God and Abraham walk between the two. Now, with God, I don't know if it's a storm that he he assumes the manifestation of a storm, or if it's a brilliant image of light. I don't know what that looks like, uh, but but it was the presence of God going through this, and then Abraham assumes that as well. What they're saying is, if we don't if we don't uh, have if we don't keep a promise, may what happens to this animal happen to us? Now, of course, God is always going to keep his promises because he's God. But Abraham is saying, God, I'm making this vow with you. It's a dangerous thing if you think about it, that if I don't keep up with with do my end of the bargain, may you do to me what you've done to this what we've done to this animal is essentially what he's saying. The the difference is is that God has the authority. The covenants are always issued by God every time. Uh, the difference is that yeah. God has the authority to to present these covenants. The, with the thing about the new covenant is the amazing thing. Every other covenant before then, from my knowledge, unless you know I misread something, every other covenant before the new covenant had God uh, was built upon God doing something and a response by a human being. The new covenant was different because God realized we can't keep our end of the end of the bargain, so God does for us 
what we couldn't do for ourselves. And really the only thing we have to do in, in uh, on our part of the bargain is to respond faithfully, uh, respond to the, the call of the Spirit to enter into this new covenant, covenantal agreement, um, mm-hmm. which is absolutely amazing if you think about it. Right. And I'll be danged if I can remember the... Uh, the account in the scriptures um but um and i can't remember the name the name of the the guy um but he came out of his tent or he came into his camp saying whatever comes out of my tent um i will sacrifice and so there he makes an oath to god that that's what he's going to do and and he comes out as the the first thing that comes out of his out of his tent or out of his out of his home is his daughter Jephthah? It's Jephthah. Yeah, Jephthah. Yep, yep. And, yep. And the interesting thing about Judges is he is as you as you follow the progression of Judges, and this is a side note to the side note. As you follow the progression of Judges, you begin to see what a nation looks like when you remove God from the equation. Right. And every right. single judge, subsequential judge that comes after the other is progressively worse than the one before. So Jephthah is the one at the very bottom. He is absolutely morally depraved. I mean, he only just barely <laughs> has a relationship with God, if you could even call it that. But he is mm-hmm. he is one. He's he's a judge, but he's not much of one. Right. But see, right. that's, that's the danger there, because he made a vow. Now, the right. question is, in theolo- theologically, did he go through... With right. the vow he took or not, you know yeah. that's a that's a subject of great debate. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a that's that's something that we could get into later. But but yeah, it it that was one that kind of popped up when we were talking about this. It's like, wait a minute, you know, I I remember, you know, Abraham, you know, making a make a cut in a covenant, and then I wanted to co- contrast that with with uh, Jephthah and 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 show the difference there. So. Yeah. See, that's a great point there, Curtis, because that that goes plays right into what Jesus is saying. Be careful yeah. when you make an oath like this, because it could have extreme consequences. You know, right. and, and again, you know, we're, we're playing Russian roulette in a sense. Um, we don't yeah. have the authority to make the oath, and then if we do make an oath, you know, what, what are we really setting ourselves up for, Jephthah? That was a horrific thing that happened with mm-hmm. him. So why is it important to live by one's word in five uh, Matthew five thirty seven? Well, boy, this goes into our last podcast. Uh, the this answer does because integrity oh. matters. <laughs> integrity matters, yeah. you know, because yeah. if if we tell people if we tell people that uh, we've been transformed by the Spirit of God, if we tell people that they should believe our message, and we're not willing to even keep our word. Why mm-hmm. should they believe us? I mean, because we're talking about, we're telling people you need, you should believe that a man who raised from the dead transformed my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hard pill for many people to swallow. But if they see the transformation in your life, then that's going to give them pause to think maybe there is something to this story. Maybe I look into right. it. But if we're lying and we're cheating and manipulating and and all of these things that often happen, then why should someone listen to our testimony? Yeah. Well, Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 42, you want to go ahead and read that? Sure. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. Okay? Um, 
or or this can read don't set yourself against or don't retaliate against uh, it, it could be translated as that as well on the contrary if anyone slaps you on your right cheek turn the other to him also as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt let him have your coat as well and if anyone forces you to go one mile go with him too Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Hmm. So, what does uh, what does Jesus mean by by not resisting an evildoer? He he's essentially here. I think if you if you look at the term, I don't have. Of course, I could bring it up here and see if it will do that. Um, uh, what did it do? Okay, bear with me just a minute. Okay, so the term here is don't resist antis tine, I think is how you say that. And it, it means by uh, resist, retaliate, um, to, to withstand, set oneself against, to withstand, oppose, to set against. So it has, it has in mind the, the nature of retaliation. So he's not he's not saying to be someone's doormat. That is not what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture. But he's also but what he is saying is don't live your life with constant bitterness and and thinking that you have to seek revenge for every wrong that occurs against us. Um, hmm. Sometimes it's better just to let things, you know, kind of have like the. Uh, uh, feathers of a duck, just to kind of let the water, you know, pass pass off, you know, float off. Don't seek revenge for every bad thing that happens to us in life. And I think in many instances we can say here that Jesus teaches that you know a lot of times in life, you know, you've probably heard this said. A lot of times in life, it's not the things that happen to us, but the th- the way we respond. I think that's ex- mm-hmm. I think that's essentially what Jesus is saying in, in this right. uh, in this text. Um, so he he's even saying that the whole idea of eye for an eye from it, so Exodus twenty one twenty four it teaches this eye for an eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot Leviticus twenty four twenty fracture for fracture tooth for tooth Deuteronomy nineteen twenty one uh, even goes so, so far to say don't show pity a life for life he said Jesus is indicating that this is not a mandate for personal living and certainly not a mandate to seek revenge for everything that happens to us. Because think about this. Think about what would happen if we lived our lives like that. Uh, we would be in a constant state of vengeance. We would constantly be seeking to justify and rectify every bad thing that happens to us in life. Yeah. But he's saying that these these laws are to help govern societies and governments, not personal living. And I think mm-hmm. that is something we've got to understand. Now, when someone mm-hmm. harms someone, kills someone, when, when there's something that's going on governmentally where there are, there are things that take place, obviously that's when some of the law comes in. But on personal daily living, he's saying just don't live your life with bitterness. Don't live your life in vengeance all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, even there was even laws put in uh, in the Old Testament about the the avenger of blood and and somebody you know breaks an axe or and the axe head flies off hits somebody in the head um that that person that did that had an opportunity to be able to uh you know escape or run free i still have a hard time with that 
thinking, well, if it was an accident, it was an accident. Why is he running? Um, but but with but with the understanding of what you were just going going through, um, that would uh, that would that would be something that they would have to um, really have to fight against themselves to have to um, to to avenge that. And so I could see where that that plays in. Yeah, and and so here again, Jesus is saying that these laws that were given in the Old Testament in the in the law. They are to help keep a civilization civilized, and we're talking about mm-hmm. the patriarchal times where things were things were right. rough during this during yeah. this phase, and so they didn't have recorders, they didn't have the modern technology, surveillance technology that we have now to go back and replay what happened. So there were certain things set the way they were to provide a moral code but also to provide stability in in this very tumultuous land. But that is a governmental thing on how to govern a society. Jesus says here for personal daily life, you know, quite honestly, if, if the person, going back to the illustration you used, if the person who was harmed realizes, hey, this, is, this was an accident, then it wouldn't be taken to court in the first place, you know, right. if, if they lived according to the way that Jesus is saying to live. Right. Yeah. So why does Jesus instruct us to give away our coats? Okay, so this is a very, um, very interesting thing. Uh, going back to one of the commentaries I read, uh, that this is that uh, lawsuits were rare in first century Israel, unlike the sue-happy United States where uh, someone can sue someone for spilling hot coffee on themselves. Uh, you know, lawsuits were very rare, and... Uh, this is probably describing a legitimate one that where the plaintiff was likely to win. Um, d- defendants were upset if a judgment goes against them, but Jesus commanded his disciples to seek reconciliation uh, by going above and beyond the legal requirements. So in Jewish law, permitted someone to take the inner garment, the shirt, but did not permit someone to take the outer garment, which was the coat. People wore, um, people may change the shirts, but they wore the coats. The coats would serve as sometimes a pillow, sometimes a blanket at night when it got cold. It was their 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 uh, protection in many cases, and it provided warmth for them to keep them from freezing. So, the inner shirt, yeah, you could you could sue someone for that, but you you could not take someone's coat. Jesus is saying to try to settle. The, the argument to try to settle the, um, the the discrepancy by going ahead and giving them what's not even required um, right. to, to to seek reconciliation with the individual. And so uh, he says it's better to seek reconciliation and win a, a brother or sister than it is to win a frivolous lawsuit. Hmm. So what does it mean by going the extra mile then? Okay, so now here uh, we are talking about a hated, despised act that the Romans placed on Jewish people in the first century. This was the this was the practice of what's called compulsion. Roman officials could force individuals any time. Now this is this is the society that people were living in during the first century. They could come and take anyone, didn't matter what they were doing, a Roman soldier could come and grab someone and demand that they walk one mile and carry a load for them 
uh, menial tasks such as load, hauling a load on their backs or, or, or carrying buckets of water or whatever, but they, but they were forced to go a mile with a soldier. Jesus says if you really want to show compassion to the person, don't just do what's expected of you. Go the extra mile. Instead of going one mile, take two. Because by doing that, the soldier's going to realize, this guy doesn't have to do this. Why is he doing this? And who knows, that may open up a conversation where you can talk to this person about having a relationship with God. Uh, so mm. by going the extra mile, you're going above and beyond what's required of you. But by doing that, it's really showing the love of God to that individual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and and by doing that, those those Roman soldiers kind of, you know, would 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 take notice um, of that kind of situation, and and that's that to me is uh, it, it says a lot about how we even do business and how we do do things for people um, in these days. Oh, there are a ton of applications. I mean, as far as being an employer, being an employee, you know, and we use this in popular discourse when we talk about business life, going the extra mile. That's where that comes from. That's another one of the sayings we use all the time, going the extra yeah, mile, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going yeah. above and beyond uh, what's necessary and to really demonstrate Christian love. And so, yeah, I'm kind of wondering if if Jesus, you know, Jesus never asked someone to do something that he didn't wouldn't do himself. So, you know, there were Roman soldiers who came to Jesus asking for favors, like the centurion. I'm kind of wondering if maybe Jesus himself hadn't done this a few times, where he was compulsed by Roman soldiers to take something a mile, and maybe who knows, maybe he went two, three, maybe even four for for the person. Yeah. 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 So Matthew five forty three through forty eight. All right, forty three through forty eight says this. This is probably one of the most difficult of the verses we're going to passages we're going to talk about tonight. Right. It says you have heard that it was said, "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy," but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Doesn't even the tax collectors do the same? Or don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Now, they catch that. What are you doing out of the ordinary? If you only greet them, you're, you, it's a pretty ordinary thing. Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in that, what scripture is quoted when Jesus says to love your neighbor? So he is going back to, you know, Jesus talked about the two great commandments. The first great commandment comes from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes into the whole dis depiction of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second great commandment comes from Leviticus 19.18, and this is actually what he's referencing, the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, see if I can pull this up. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against the members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So mm -hmm. this actually, this verse helps us understand 
what Jesus is talking about not only in this passage, but what he's talking about in other additional portions of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't live your life in vengeance. Don't live your life seeking revenge for everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, this would have been something that they would have, uh, obviously the people that he was he was saying this to, there would have been many of them there that would have already memorized the first five books of the of the law. So they would have had this in their head. And so when he was he was doing it, he was he would be saying it, and it, it would be applying to all of what they understand and, and all how the ethical they apply behavior to their. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would have meant meant something very good. If you really think about it, because the first great commandment is theologically vertically centered or directed, Mm -hmm. uh, our relationship with God. And the second great commandment is horizontally or ethically uh, the way we relate Mm -hmm. to other other individuals. So even by using those two great commandments, our theology should impact our ethics and the way we treat one another. Sure, sure. One thing I want to point out um, in in the next question, I'm going to ask you, Brian. But one thing I want to point out to the listeners is: notice in the scriptures, it, it says, "You have heard it said. You mm-hmm. have heard it said. You have heard it said." There's a rhythm there. There's there's something he's trying to point out, or something that he's trying to stir up. It's just like when he was saying, um, when he says, um, "Those that have ears, let them hear." Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are these are things that he's pointing out or repeating to say actually point to something or to uh, make you dwell on it even deeper so does the old testament teach hate your neighbor if not where did it come from great question the old testament does not teach a person to hate one's neighbor now one person could say a person can argue well what about the uh military passages where it talks about going in and vanquishing an entire society that that is that is again it kind of goes back to what jesus is talking about with the law the law is given to govern society these military things are given to protect and defend and sometimes take the land that god had promised for them it wasn't done out of hatred at all, it was done because it was, you know, it's kind of like Augustine says the just war theory. Um, sometimes war is necessary. It's not something that God wants. It's not something that we want. But sometimes it's necessary to protect your land. Sometimes it's necessary to protect your your people. Um, so we've got to, We've got to set that in contrast with the main emphasis of Scripture. And the main emphasis of Scripture is God's relationship with human beings. Uh, that's what the covenants are all about. That's what uh, that's what's leading to this new covenant that comes in Christ. So the Old Testament does not teach for us to hate our neighbor um, or hate anyone for that fact. Um, even in in David's imprecatory Psalms, in the Book of Psalms, where he talks about dashing someone's baby against the stones, he's not meaning that literally. With these imprecatory Psalms. It's like a person who gets so frustrated, and you know he says, "I wish you know something would bad would happen to someone." He doesn't really mean it, but he's just expressing himself. It's just he's his angry, yeah. he's angry, and he's just expressing himself. Well, there again, that's not a call to do damage to someone or harm someone. The core emphasis of the Old Testament is to love God 
love your neighbor. And that's what Jesus tells us. That's the summary of the entire law is found in those two commandments. Mm-hmm. But the question is, where did that come from? Right. It appears that from the best, you know, as we've researched this, you and I, Curtis, have, it seems like he's talking about an oral law or an oral tradition that existed in the first century. From what we can tell, I mean, there may be something out there that we haven't seen, but we've we've kind of looked at it. From what we can tell, there doesn't seem to be anything in the Talmud that suggests to hate a person's right. neighbor. So this seems like some oral tradition, that oral uh, interpretation that had been adopted in the first century. And it makes sense that it would be, because think about this. You had tensions between the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the northern tribes of Israel that were overtaken by the Assyrians. They were interbred. But there were half Gentile, half Jew, uh, or or half Israelite, and then you have the Judeans and, and the and the Benjaminites that were exiled into Babylon. They came back. There were some tensions that existed between the two groups. There were tensions there. You you go through if you go back through the history, uh, you have uh, the the, uh, the the Greek or Macedonian Empire taking over the land, and then you have these uprisings where Judas Maccabeus leads a group uh, and and overtakes Israel. They they uh, they celebrate. This is where the the celebration of Hanukkah comes in. Rome comes in then, overtakes the land. They strip the priesthood and they sell it to the highest bidders who just so happened to be the Sadducees. The Sadducees were Roman-placed priests in the Sanhedrin. They were placed there by the Romans. Uh, They they sold it to the highest bidder. There are tensions between Pharisees and Sadducees. There are tensions between the Essenes, who may have been the individuals who were stripped of the priesthood by the Romans, they're living in exile down in Qumran or somewhere you know, out in the, in the Dead Sea region. Um, so there are tensions between the Essenes and, the, and the, Sadduce- the, the, the Sadducees. There are tensions between everybody and Rome. Uh, people didn't like tax collectors because they represented Rome. People didn't like the Roman soldiers. They didn't like the Roman occupation. I mean, there were tensions galore. So it would have been easy for them to have adopted this notion that uh, we are God's chosen people. It's okay for us to hate our neighbor. So Jesus is not opposing the law. He is, he is opposing a tradition or an interpretation that had been adopted in the first century. It does not represent all of Judaism, but it represented a certain interpretation that existed at the time. Right. Right, and, and uh, so, so this oral law or this oral tradition um, just had to be prevalent at that time that, that, they, that all, of this, all of this turmoil was coming up and, and uh, you know, we understand with the Jewish um, culture at that time period, they were waiting for the they were waiting for the true Messiah to come, and and at that time he would have um, he would have been given the proper interpretation of 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 the law of what was supposed to be being being done, and uh, and and teach them true halakha. That's that was my pastor was walking me through some of this but he was he was there or he was going to you know the the messiah would come and teach them the proper halakha but this might even be why 
the Pharisees came at Jesus um, later on when when they're when they question him and ask him, "Where do you get where do you get the authority? Where do you get this authority?" They're not talking about the authority like, "Ooh, he's a he's a big man and he can he can." You know he's he's big in society and big in culture, and he's changing all this stuff up. He what they're talking about is where do you get the authority to change our oral understanding or our understanding of what is what is being gone? Because because remember Jesus was a was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Jesus was 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 a rabbi, and so he was he was actually going through and giving these big teachings through this. And in that time period, he was he was actually doing exactly what they expected him to do but they didn't recognize it yeah and so normally the the normal rabbinic practice of the day would be to say uh i say or or rabbi uh, akiba says this and then you expand on rabbi 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 akiba's uh interpretation or rabbi shemai or rabbi hillel or or uh, gamaliel he was a big uh, rabbi at the time rabbi gamaliel says this and 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 you expound on that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says, I say unto you, you know, he's coming from his own authority. He's not quoting another rabbi. He's not quoting another teacher who inter- another teacher's interpretation. He's giving his own interpretation and saying this is what God intended. And so it's right. completely radically different than, uh, than what most of the rabbis were doing. During that day, and I can see if you grow up in this time and you have, uh, you know, you, you have uh, this this say rabbinic professionalism where you're quoting some rabbi, and and you have this guy saying, "No, I say to you, this is what it means." And I can kind of say, "Well, how dare he? Who he, who does he think he is?" You know, right. coming off like this, just so happens he had the miracles to back up everything he said, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they weren't out there walking on water. They weren't out there stopping storms and weren't raising the dead. This guy was. So you know, if I even heard a, I was listening to a, a uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was talking about uh, the living in higher dimensions, and it was going into cosmology. And but he was talking about. Uh, what we consider scientific evidence, and he said, you know. Uh, was talking about someone who claimed to be something, but he said, "Now, if you were here and you were walking on water and you were uh, feeding five thousand and doing all these things, then we might be we might be one. We might need to pay attention to you." And I think, "Oh yeah, that's what Jesus did. Why aren't you listening to him? Because <laughs> you know, he did all of those things, and so he's giving evidence to you." That his interpretation's right, uh, that uh, that he has, or at least he has the authority to say these things because he has right. the uh, he has the backing of the Father Himself. Uh, but of course, we know He's God come in flesh. But He has the backing of the Father, the authority of the Father, who is uh, revealing these things uh, through Him as He's going along. And you think about it; these very things that not not just not just the miracles and the witness. Of, of that with his with all of his uh, disciples and all the people that followed Jesus so for example Joseph of Arimathea his brother um, it, it, you know James Jacob um, it, later on and they followed him so deeply and and went to their death because they understood that that Jesus 
did the miracles, fulfilled the prophecies, fulfilled all the things that they were expecting. But, you know, it's kind of like it, during current time, they probably didn't recognize it. But looking back, they started putting everything together. And, and could you imagine, could you imagine looking back and, and, and just having that gut drop where you just, whoa, that, that just happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's in broad daylight. And, and one of the things I'd like to say here, too, is Jesus is challenging the traditional understandings of the day. He was correcting bad interpretations. And people have difficulties with that. Uh, it's the same way today. I mean, for a thousand years, the church thought the Latin Vulgate was the only translation. And we think the King James Version holds sway over people. The Latin Vulgate puts the King James Version to shame. A thousand years, not only did you have to read the Vulgate. Yeah, I'm churning it. <laughs> not only did you have to read the Vulgate, you had to read it in Latin. And a lot of times in the medieval ages, most people didn't even know Latin. So they were reading right. these words they didn't understand. Uh, but... Uh, you know, um, traditions die hard, and uh, that's the same thing is true today for many churches. That's why many churches are struggling because they're not uh, trying to seek what God is saying. They're hanging on to to traditions. Some of the traditions may not even be working anymore, but they're hanging on to things that they enjoy. They're hanging on to things that 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 they feel to be true rather than what God says is true. And so Jesus is challenging them to look back at what God intended to say through the through the mess through the word. So so they're holding on to the secondary and and third level issues as as if they are uh, equal to scripture then. Yeah, I, I, that, and I also think that you, you know, it is a difficult thing. It's it's a problem we have in human nature. Uh, it's a it's a human problem where we are always tempted to take up a reader response uh, interpretation of a text rather mm-hmm. than the authorial right. intent. Where we want mm-hmm. where we want the text to say what we want it to say, rather than going back to see what the author intended all along. And I think that has a lot to do with it, um, you know. Because if people were hating the Romans in this time, if people were hating the Samaritans, then then they would have interpretations that would justify their behavior in that sense. Hmm. Hmm. So why should Christians love their enemies? And furthermore, what does this say about the modern state of American Christianity? Well, you know, Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And you just take a few moments on Facebook and read the, the uh, posts presented by Christians. You know, if, if we were to be judged by the amount of love that we have for our fellow neighbor, uh, if that was to be the indicator of whether or not we were a Christian or not, I don't know whether we would have enough evidence uh, in modern times to convict us of being true genuine believers um, right. I don't mean that to be scathing and, and uh, you know uh, obnoxious I just think it's true we've we and even when we talk about love a lot of times people will say well you just you don't need to preach on heaven you don't you need to preach on hell hellfire brimstone well, you know what yeah there is a place for that but the ultimate goal is to be with God in heaven and, you know, mm-hmm. we needed to talk about this, you know, and if I ever get through all of these other things to get back to writing my book, that's what I hope to present whenever it comes out, maybe in 2050. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's, um, 
it seems like love has become a bad word with Christians when really it should be front and center in everything we do and say. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I could go on a little bit more with that, but we'll move on to the next question because <laughs> we, could, we could be here all night with that one. <laughs> so what does it mean by, by God causing the sun and rain to fall on the just and the unjust? And how, and how should this impact our theology? Well, essentially here, oh, I clicked the wrong button here. Essentially here, he's talking about that uh, good and bad will come to both the just and the unjust. Uh, you know, regardless if if you are a good person or a bad person, the sunshine is going to come out for that for an individual, uh, and and it's going to rain on on individuals. Um, so it, it this is this is something we shouldn't do to simply um, well for instance as this one commentary says um, the sort of forgiving love Jesus mentions displays your family resemblance to the heavenly Father and serves as a sign to your true identity God blesses both the evil and good with sun and rain so so God is a is a loving compassionate God who blesses both the evil and good I mean even evil individuals benefit from the grace of God, the general grace of God given to them. God gave them life. That's, that's the grace of God. God would provide sunshine and rain. Uh, you know, th- those are both good and bad things. Uh, well, rain is, is a beneficial. If you're a farmer, you need the rain. Maybe not as much as we've had in recent times. But nonetheless, uh, God blesses both. So here Jesus challenges us because if we see someone with maybe some difficulty, disability, we're often tempted to say, well, maybe that person did something wrong and they deserve that. That's not always the case because uh, it may be that God's going to use that uh, disability to, to glorify His name. And, and maybe that person yeah. with that disability may very well bring more people to Christ than a, than a person without one would. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it gives them an access an access point where where somebody else that doesn't have that to be able to speak into somebody's life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, what impact comes by loving those who hate you, and how does this unconditional love uh, relate to the love that God holds for us? Well, you know, it's really it going through this has really brought to my attention the deep theological points that Jesus is bringing out in his teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, if we really think about this, we were all enemies of God. Mm-hmm. While we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us mm-hmm. while we had our fancy suits and ties on. He didn't die for us while we were good, moral, ethical people. He died for us while we, while we were still enemies of God. So the whole act of love... Excuse me. On God's behalf, is that He's He's presenting and bestowing His love to individuals who were deemed enemies of God. We were enemies of God. God makes us. Uh, God bridges that gap. He He blesses us with His grace and love, and He makes it right while we are still enemies of His. So when we demonstrate love to individuals who were not so-called friends, if we demonstrate love to people who are deemed enemies, we are truly, genuinely expressing the love to them that God has demonstrated 
to us. And so he even says, if you only love the people who love you, well and good, congratulations. You're doing the same thing that the tax collectors and Gentiles do. And tax collectors were hated by Jewish people of the time. So he said, congratulations, you're doing the same thing that they're doing. But if you love those who hate you, then you are truly demonstrating the love of God. Hmm. Oh, to have that kind of love. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and that's something that flies in the face of, of every bit of every <laughs> every inch of our bones, uh, you know, as as human beings. And you know, this is something as conservative Christians, we've got to. This is one of the reasons I stepped out of out of out of the whole political spectrum, because it seemed like the conversations became more about us versus them. It became more about demonizing individuals who were deemed our adversaries. And I, and the more I've studied the Sermon on the Mount, the more I realize if we are to love our neighbors, what does that look like? doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean you don't still stand your case to stand firm, you know, you know, but this, uh, what was the word I'm thinking of? Vitriolic language we use of the people who don't agree with us demonizing them, I don't think would be approved by Christ, and I don't think is approved by Christ, because at the end of the day, we're still called to love those individuals, even though we might not agree with them. We're still called to love them. That doesn't mean that we, that we uh, accept their behavior. It doesn't mean that we adopt their philosophies. We've got to stand firm. That's where the salt comes in. But right. that does mean that we care about them and love them, and if they're in need... Be willing to help them out. Right. Right. So what what does Jesus mean by being perfect as God is perfect? Does he really expect us to live uh, perfect lives? Yeah, he wants you to be absolutely perfect, never think a bad thought, never do anything bad, and if you don't, you're condemned. Well, obviously that's not true. <laughs> I'm joking. That's not true. Jesus is talking about, uh, I think here he's talking about uh, two things. One, I think he's talking about being mature, uh, being, um, being a mature individual. Uh, and not being, you know, you, you see a lot of people who are highly emotional, who fly off the handle when the least little bit thing goes wrong. I think it, and I've done that too, I'm you know, not saying I have it. But be a mature in individual. <laughs> you can see hands raising there too. <laughs> but, but be a mature, mature believer. Be a mature being, just as God is mature. And I think God is. I think He's also saying, telling us here too that He is making us. God is making us into His image over the course of sanctification that takes place in our lives. But also, I think there should be. I think He also talks about uh, the resemblance that should exist. Uh, like a child resembles his biological parents, spiritual children bear close resemblance to their heavenly father. And I think this is what Paul was talking about when he, t- when he uh, mentions producing the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that occurs within us, but it's something that's manifested outwardly uh, f- from the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, yeah. Just like when, when spring eventually gets here. By the way, I almost forgot, I almost failed to mention today is Ash Wednesday, which means it's the beginning of Lent, which means there's 40 days to Easter. And so that means yeah. spring is just around the corner, folks. And so uh, I switched up my cloth on my cross. It's purple now, indicating that, you know, Easter's coming. Easter's coming when we celebrate <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus. But in like manner, uh, we, we understand that... Uh, I was going somewhere with that, and my mind just went. I went down a rabbit trail and <laughs> forgot. But nonetheless, I'll just. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'll just say this: that uh, um, he's talking about that that the. Oh yeah, I know where I was going with this. Just as spring is coming, the sap is going to start rising in the trees, and they're going to start producing blooms and bud, buds and blooms, and they're going to produce leaves, and some will produce fruit. Produced from the inner working of the sap. Likewise, the Spirit of God, when He works within us, produces these fruit in our lives uh, that that are glorifying to God and demonstrate to other individuals that we belong to the Father. Mm. So, real quickly, you had mentioned sanctification. And I'd like to just quickly touch on what it really means, what, what the three three things that that happen to a believer justification sanctification and glorification can can you kind of quickly touch on those before we end our podcast a- absolutely so justification remember we were talking about how we were deemed enemies of god um that means that we did not hold right standing with god to be mm-hmm. justified means that we are forgiven that we are made right in God's image. That happens the very moment a person receives Christ as his or her Savior. Once they enter into that new covenant agreement, they are justified. They are made right in the Father's eyes. Therefore, they are given open access to the throne room of God. In former days, it used to be at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest on that one occasion would enter the Holy of Holies, enter into the the Shekinah glory of God would come down, and he would bask in the presence of God for that one day to commune with God on behalf of the nation. God would commune with him, and that would happen on Yom Kippur. However, when Christ died, we see that the thick curtain of the Holy of Holies was was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that it wasn't a man who did that. It wasn't a human being. Of course, I don't think a human being could rip that type of thick fabric anyhow. But we see it was an act of God. So justification means that we have an open access to the throne room of God. When we pray, it goes from our lips to God's ears, uh, if God had ears as we do, but he hears our prayers is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So justified means that we're made right. Sanctification means that throughout our lives in this new covenant, God is making us, purifying us, making us into the image of Christ. So the Spirit is assessing our lives. He is putting us in the fires of His purification, and He's molding us and making us, developing us into the image of Christ. Glorification essentially means that one day, when we, when we pass through the threshold of death and to eternity, uh, we will be, our souls will be glorified with the Lord. Uh, we'll be in His presence. We will see Him as He is. He will see us. We will see Him. And one day we'll be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected. That'll be the ultimate 
stamp of God's glorification in our lives. We will have a glorified body. So justified means that we're made right in the image of God. Sanctified, to be sanctified, means that we're being made in the image of Christ, purified as we go along life's journey. And glorification comes about when we are entered into, uh, given the promised um, uh, eternity, that God has established for us and ultimately through the resurrected body that happens when Christ returns. Amen. Yeah. It was good. Well, we, we'll talk to you later, folks. We've, uh, we've kind of overstayed our welcome on this one. It's been a long one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information join us next time on the bellator christie podcast and until next time brian and i say soldier on friends you've been listening to the bellator christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts, and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged, and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. 
Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.